welcome back to The Middle of Medicine. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Jones. And I am your other host, Aubrey Jones. And oh my goodness, we are so excited to be back. Aubrey, yes. it has been a solid, like I say, I think almost two months since we have been able to sit down and record. Yeah. Summer got in the way and then school started out and I kind of think we're both getting our butts kicked just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us what's what's going on? How are you doing? <laughs> I am doing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surviving. That's that's for sure. School's been crazy. I have the hardest classes I've ever taken in my life, and I am still part or full full time at my job at the moment. I don't start part time till next week. So. <laughs> oh dear, I didn't realize you were still full time. Uh huh. Sure am, but. Uh, and we've had some mandatory on-call shifts in the last month or so, so I've had four Ooh. shifts a week almost every week. Ooh, Good rough. thing about those is I've made um, a very large, significant amount of money, meaning my entire month's rent and a half in one shift uh, a couple <laughs> times. Wow. So am I mad? No. I'm not. <laughs> am it. I still dying? Yes. But it's okay. We're living. School, I'm finding a routine. School is going. Work is going. It's it's good. It's good. 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 How are you? Uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been an interesting, oh gosh, I, I guess it's been almost a month. It will be one month as of tomorrow uh, that we moved, uh, you know, your mom down to uh, Salt Lake so that uh-huh. she could start graduate school at the University of Utah. Yeah, uh, flexing her talents and artistic muscles, and working Indeed. on a master's degree in vocal performance and vocal pedagogy. And I just like to say the word pedagogy. <laughs> I don't it even makes know. What you that sound is. smart. <laughs> what is that? Uh, pedagogy basically just means learning how to teach other people. Oh, why so is it such a fancy word? <laughs> I don't know, but it's a great word. And I have another great word for you and for our listeners. Uh, This is courtesy of uh, Dr. Ryan Shelton, uh, anesthesiologist who we have cited on the podcast before in talking about burnout. Uh, He's a really smart guy. He has a lot of really great thoughts. And um, unlike most of the anesthesiologists, there's not that many of them at our hospital. But what he does, he actually works in a room. He does anesthesia. Whereas the other anesthesiologists just kind of do the pre-op stuff over seeing the patients who are getting ready to have surgery. And then all the anesthesia is done by uh, CRNA, Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetists. Interesting. Uh, But but Ryan, he, uh, he is there and he's working in rooms. And it means that he and I get to talk fairly frequently because... You know, when you're in surgery three days a week, like I am, you get to run into people in the operating room fairly frequently. And uh, so yesterday we were uh, kind of talking about, uh, I think he told me it maybe stemmed from a conversation he was having with his kids. Oh. Nevertheless, here's our new word. And that word is deuteragonist. Oh. <laughs> Do tell what that is. <laughs> well, so in a story, you have your protagonist, who's your main character, uh-huh. and there's your antagonist, who you know is 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 the bad guy, the 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 opposition to the protagonist. Uh-huh. 
The deuteragonist is sort of like the secondary protagonist. Oh, okay. So, you know, if you think of like, we'll use Harry Potter as an example. We would say that Harry Potter is the end, is the protagonist of the series. But I think we could refer to, you know, I'm going to give it to Hermione because I think Hermione does way more than Ron and she's much more oh, important absolutely. to the story. So Indeed. I think we would, you know, I would say that in, in Harry Potter, uh, Hermione is the deuteragonist. Oh, so okay. there's our, our fancy word of the day to go along with pedagogy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. We were actually having an interesting conversation today. Um, and this is somewhat medical and work related. So <laughs> anybody who uh, knows me and, and I'm sure it has come up on the podcast before, but I like uh, heavy metal in uh, a, a variety of uh, flavors. And it's one of those things that, you know, there's so many different sort of sub genres of heavy metal or, right. or really metal, I would say, because heavy metal is a sub genre of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when people hear that, oh, Dr. Jones listens to metal, I can tell they get some kind of preconceived ideas about what that may be. Right. And I was getting ready to do a vasectomy in the clinic. And I do bring in music when we are going to do vasectomies, in part just to try and help distract the guys because they're awake. Oh, absolutely. And I always try and, you know, be tasteful and tone it down a little bit. I'll use a lot of instrumental stuff and things like that. But at the same time, I'll be honest, it puts me a little bit more in the zone and I feel like I do a better job. And so if there's anything I can do to do a better job, then I should You're gonna do that. You're going to do that. Yeah. Right. Well, so my nurse happened to mention to this guy and his wife that I listened to metal. And he and, and well, they both kind of asked me as we were getting ready to do the procedure. And I brought in my speaker. They're like, oh, so your nurse says you listen to metal. And um, I said, yes. And then I asked what they think I listen to. <laughs> and I think that there may have been a little bit of Valium on board. And so the guy was relaxed <laughs> and he was feeling honest. Oh, and yeah. he said, oh, when she told us that, I turned to my wife and I was like, I bet you he listens to butt rock. Oh, And I started laughing because I had a med student with me and I had said to her, I said, I guarantee you, he thinks I listen to butt rock. Oh. <laughs> So we ended up doing his vasectomy, listening to the machine, the new uh, album from Machine Head, which is definitely not butt rock. And he was kind of like, dude, this is like legit metal. I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that led to us having a discussion today in the operating room about butt rock slash butt metal versus <laughs> glam metal. And oh. Ryan asked me. Uh, if I thought that they were one and the same. And I think, you know, we came up with uh, a, a good way to describe it. And that is that all glam metal is butt metal, <laughs> but not all butt metal is glam metal. Uh -huh. So, you know, you, you've got a Venn diagram there and there's an overlapping section in the middle. Right. But, you know, the glam metal part might be completely encircled in the butt metal circle, but there's a portion of the butt metal circle that's outside the glam metal circle. Right. 
those are the kind of conversations that we have when we're doing surgery on people because <laughs> that's just what you do. You talk yeah. about things. You just chat. You just have to chat. And it's great when you work with good people who you like a lot and you consider friends because then you get to have fun conversations that uh, spill over into other aspects of your day. Bob. Yeah. But no, you know, we're doing okay here. The boys are back in school and Alex is getting ready for homecoming, uh, double homecoming. He and this oh, girl wow. are going to Century's homecoming tomorrow. And then I think next week is Highland's homecoming and she's, she's oh. at Highland. And so they're going to that one. I see. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him and Gareth is, uh, is swimming and is in school and, we're doing all right, but it is nice on the weekends when your mom gets home and we get to see her for a, a day and a half or yeah. two days almost before she heads back down and gets back in school. So Heck yeah. Well, any interesting things that uh, you've kind of run into at work that you wanted to bring up? And uh, I'll kind of couch this in sort of our, our pseudo topic for the day. And I refer to it as a pseudo topic because... <laughs> I don't know if it's quite enough to fill an entire episode. And as, you know, things are, are busy and crazy, this may be a little bit shorter of an episode, but I think uh, we have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that we can talk about with school starting back up. So we'll get back on track uh, and we'll get a little more regular. And I think that that'll help sort of prime our podcasting parts of the brain and make it easier for us to come up with things to talk about. Heck yeah. But... We're going to talk a little bit today, and when I suggested this to Aubrey, I thought, you know, let's maybe talk about things you shouldn't say to your medical provider. And that sounds a little worse than, than what I mean it to, um, but I'm, I think we're going to give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain so that they understand, you know, when you tell a medical provider X, most of the time they're going to hear that and then in their brain they're going to turn it into why mm -hmm. and we'll talk about what that is but before we get there any interesting things that have been going on at work for you well honestly not much except for the fact that i have floated to other units on regular shifts before and Ooh. that's crazy because I, like, we are so understaffed that that nearly never happens. If I pick up an extra and I float, so be it. Extras float first. But on a regular shift, I floated to, like, the infant medical unit. And I was like, me? Are you sure? Are you talking about me? <laughs> it's a regular <laughs> shift, you know that? And they were like, yeah, we know. And I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> all right. <laughs> must have really needed you over there. Yeah, it was for a one-to-one, -one, but it was a one-to-one uh, -one that yeah. didn't need to be a one-to-one. I have feelings, but anyways. <laughs> 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 it was, yeah, that was strange. And only a few weeks before that, I had floated to the cancer and bone marrow transplant um, unit as well. Um so it was strange that I had just barely floated. So that that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, it is. And nothing too crazy at work that's jumping to mind, except for the fact that 
I've, I've almost been there for a year now, and I am just now feeling like I know things. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> like when nurses ask me for the, for my opinion, I'm like, "You're are you talking to me? You're asking for my opinion? Me? No, you know, it <laughs> means they, they respect you, so that's a good thing. No, it, it is a good thing. And there are times I feel really confident in knowing things, and then there are some days where I feel very not confident, feel like I don't know anything and I'm brand new. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's okay. We're We're doing good. It's, yeah, it's been pretty good. Excellent. Well, that's really good. Yeah. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and jump in then to our main topic. And again, I know you haven't been doing this quite as long as I have because you're not old like me. <laughs> but any things that you have noticed where if a patient or especially in your situation, a patient's parent says X, your brain immediately says, oh, what this really means to me is something different. Mm hmm. So I know you mentioned this earlier when we were kind of discussing the topic, but this was the first one that came to mind was when specifically when the patient's parent says, oh, my kid has such a high pain tolerance there. They don't need any pain meds like they're going to do great. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That is an instant <laughs> red flag <laughs> that's how we know we're like okay we need to make sure we have every prn medication that is possible <laughs> call the doctor immediately get those orders in so the second they are screaming in pain we have something on hand <laughs> yep yep well, tell me your experience with that <laughs> oh so and it's really really interesting um but it is almost universal. We see that the people who state that they have a really high pain tolerance absolutely will require far more pain medication for the exact same thing than the people who do not say that. I mean, mm -hmm. that is just a given. It, it is so well known and well understood that I have never met somebody uh, who works in the hospital or in medicine and does not feel that way. Like, and yeah. it's interesting, you know, because those, you get the other people who really do actually have pain tolerances, high pain tolerances. They don't need to tell anybody about that. And half and, the time they don't even know that they have a high pain tolerance. Well, they don't think about it because, and this is my belief they don't perseverate on their pain. And that's right. really the difference, you know? Like, we all experience pain. That's a normal part of life. And it is fascinating to me the way people perceive that differently. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, this is like a whole episode unto itself. So I guess I don't want to steal future content from ourselves here mm -hmm. by going too much into it. But you're right. The people who truly do have high pain tolerances, it's not something they think about. Yeah. They just go, well, yeah, you know, this hurts, but that's okay. I understand. Yeah, I just like, had oh, surgery. Fine. Yeah. I'm going to be sore. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, most of the time, they think very logically about the situation. And they're like, yes, okay, I might be in a little pain, but it's going to be okay, and that's normal. And then they right. move on. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is, like I say, instant red flag. We know they're going to need more anesthetic. They're going to need more pain medication. I know that I'm going to get calls from them after they've gone home asking for more pain medication. Mm -hmm. And with, honestly, the prescription drug monitoring systems that are in place across the country, you're going to find that, again, those people who tell you they have really high pain tolerances or pain thresholds, you can go and look up and see how many narcotic prescriptions they've received. And almost universally, they're getting narcotic prescriptions from three or four or even five different providers. Mm. And, and so again, it is, it really is. It's a red flag for me when somebody says that because not only am I anticipating that they are going to require more pain medication than the vast majority of people who I take care of. But it also really is concerning the amount of narcotic pain medication they're going to both request and likely be receiving from a multitude of sources because that's part of the opioid crisis that we find ourselves in now is that you've got this relatively small group of people who are getting so many different narcotic prescriptions from so many different sources mm -hmm. that I can think I'm being responsible and only giving them a prescription for eight pills, but I gave them eight and their primary care gave them 12. And then this ER that they went to outside of town so that nobody knew if there was a history or something gave them another 10. And mm -hmm. then they've got uh, somebody else who's given them, you know, 15, 20, something like that. And, and then what happens is, you know, they end up calling, asking for more. And if you don't go and look, a lot of times you could think, well, I only gave them eight. It's been four days. That was only two pills a day. But what you don't realize is they really actually had like 30 to 40 pills in that four days. Um, so it really is. It's a red flag. And with things being as bad as they are right now with uh, narcotics, uh, it becomes it becomes concerning. And so yeah. it really kind of puts us on, on red alert when somebody says that, and it may not be nearly that bad and it may not be that extreme, but they are still at the very least going to require higher doses of pain medication than, than other people. Mm -hmm. So what else, yeah. anything else you've seen where you're like, Hmm, this is, this is <laughs> sus. <laughs> there's there's a couple times where this isn't necessarily like never say this to your doctor or healthcare provider but when the parent says that they have also worked in healthcare mm, or when yeah. they're like uh, like specifically a CNA job like when the parent is like oh i'm a cna but there's there's different ways you can go about it there's the parents that are like super understanding of us and the amount of patience we have and the things that we have to do every day and how busy we are and then half the time they're super self-sufficient and they're doing everything for their kid and you come in and check on them and they're like oh i already did that and then you're like great thank you <laughs> so there's that way or 
it's the other way where they get mad at you for every single specific thing. Yeah. There was one there was one kiddo who the mom was a CNA and I was walking them out like to discharge and the parent was like don't you just love when you get to walk patients out and then you don't have to do your job and you get to stand there and do nothing? And I was like, excuse me? Hmm. What? Yeah, what the so heck did I you kind mean of, by that? Yeah, so I was like awkwardly chuckling and I was like, sure. Right? <laughs> like, I was how like, do you respond to that? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's a nice break, I guess, or something. I don't even remember what I said. So, like, that was awkward. And on top of that, um, that kiddo left with an IV Uh and wasn't supposed to. And the parent who had been a tech lied and said that the resident took out the IV. But actually, she just wanted to leave so fast that she left and then took it out herself. Which I'm sure she knew how to take it out. Great. Love it. But the lying and saying that a resident took out the IV? Since when did a resident take out an IV? Never in my life have I ever heard of that. Uh, look, I had the thought. I, I have never, <laughs> ever taken out an IV. I have taken out like a central <laughs> line or maybe an arterial line or something right. like that. But that's but a bigger yeah, thing. An IV? No, never taken out an IV. And I was absolutely flabbergasted because then, so I walked the patient out oblivious to the fact that the kid still had an IV. I come back and the nurse is like, did you take out the IV? And I was like, what IV? And they were like, he still had one. No one took it out. And so they called the parent and was like, uh, he still has an IV. You guys need to come back so we can take it out. And the parent was like, oh, this this so-and-so resident took it out. No, they didn't. They absolutely did not. Yeah, that's a little crazy. Yeah, so just that sort of thing where they are so confident in their skills that then they cut corners because they've worked in healthcare when, like, we have protocols set in place that, like, that's great if you've worked in healthcare. That's fantastic. Lovely. But when it's interfering with the things that we have to do like legally like like the protocols that we have set in place at our hospital and stuff like that that's when it starts to get like okay i don't know and that specific parent also gave all of the techs trouble being like when i was a tech i was much more like with it with the i's and o's of my patients in taking output of my patients and you guys aren't doing enough and you're not even charting what he drank at 9:45 this morning and blah 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 blah. So lots of things like that where we are doing our best but they're so confident in their skills as a healthcare worker or previous healthcare worker that it then interferes with what we're trying to do. Yeah. That's very frustrating. Yeah, on the other hand, like, problem. yeah, on the other hand, I've had kids where I had this kid who um, the patient's mom was an ER nurse and the dad was an ER doc. Great. Love them. 
they were incredible. <laughs> like we would go in to do something and they'd be like, oh, we already took care of it. And I was like, great. Thank you. <laughs> or we'd be like having trouble taking vitals and they were like, that's okay. D don't worry about it if you can't get it. Like, you know, like it, they were very cooperative and helpful, which was great. But, so anyway. I have a question for you about that. Yes. That uh, family. Uh-huh. Did they frequently and vociferously remind you that they were an ER nurse and an ER doctor? Never. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know unless people told you. You would just think they're a very self-sufficient family who knows a lot about their kiddos' yeah. uh, ment or medical stuff. And that's is, what I have seen. Yeah. You know, the, the ones who are great and are not going to get in the way and are going to be helpful and pleasant, they're the ones who don't feel the need to tell you constantly that they work in health care. Mm-hmm. But that it's the ones who are going to be demanding and demeaning and, you know, they're going to be the ones who feel the need to point out to you mm -hmm. over and over again. Well, right. I'm this, I'm uh -huh. this, I have done this. And it's just, again, if you tell me the first thing early on, oh, well, I'm a nurse or I'm a this or I'm a that. I'm going to kind of be like, okay, but now I'm a little bit on guard because I'm ready for you to be demanding and demeaning. Right, exactly. Whereas, you know, the other ones where it's like they don't feel the need to advertise that. They just are right. in healthcare, whatever. They're just the ones who are cool and they're easygoing and, and it mm -hmm. becomes a good interaction. Right, and um, they understand like – how things work so they're easygoing and they're like oh don't worry about it i get it and then they maybe mention it offhand and you're like oh that's that's awesome and then you can have a nice pleasant interaction yeah yeah it was funny i took uh your brother alex to get a, a sports physical last year mm -hmm. and you know had to go with him because he's a minor still and i'm sitting there and i'm just wearing like cargo shorts and a t-shirt or something like that uh -huh. you know, and, and we're talking and, you know, the, the pediatricians in there talking to him and doing his exam and all this kind of stuff. And, and we're getting towards the end of the appointment and he looks at the paper again and then he kind of turns and he looks at me and he goes, Oh, I refer lots of patients to you. Don't I? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but again, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be like, hey, yes, I'm Dr. Jones, you know. <laughs> like, I'm like, look, I'm going to stay out of the way and let you do your job because I'm not a pediatrician. You are. Right. And, you know, you don't, I won't you tell you how thing, to pediatricize do and don't tell me <laughs> yeah. how to urologize. <laughs> Urologize. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually like the word urologize better now that I think about it. Urologize. We're gonna go with that. Yeah, we're gonna go with urologize instead of urologize. It's it's a urologize sounds like an exercise that you would do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're yeah, down there, you're like, you got some music going and it's like, you know, <laughs> scope the left ureter. Now scope the right ureter. Now scope the left ureter. Now scope the right ureter. You know, it's now. Shake them all about. Well, right. Then it's like, okay, now rectal exam. In, <laughs> out, in. Oh, sorry. That just might have gone too far. Anyway. Hey, look, it's all work related. I mean, it's all work related. 
Um, so another thing that I'd say, and, and I guess these are more like not things that you shouldn't say, but these are more like red flags. Right. I'm going to be honest with you. The number of allergies that a person has listed in their chart, absolute red flag, absolute <laughs> red flag. Um, because you'll see people who they're allergic to so many different things. And when they have a list that long, in my experience, many of those allergies are not allergies. They're what we refer to as ADEs, adverse drug reactions, and they're different than an allergy. For example, narcotics make people nauseated. They just do. They yeah. do not sit well. They make people sick to their stomachs. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody has, oh, I'm allergic to hydrocodone, and you ask them, what is your reaction? And they say, oh, it makes me, it makes my, t my stomach upset. That's not an allergy. That's an ADE. And guess what? It makes most people's stomach upset. So that doesn't mean that you can't get a narcotic. It just means you, you get sick tummy when, when it happens and nobody <laughs> likes a sick tummy. And so that's okay. I get it. Right. But it's not an allergy. Yeah. When you're allergic to epinephrine, I know that you're full of it. <laughs> because you need epinephrine to be alive. Right. Your body makes epinephrine. You're not allergic to epinephrine. What is like the ultimate medication we use to fight allergic reactions? <laughs> it's called an EpiPen. It is. A reason. And, and Epi stands, it's short for epinephrine. epinephrine. <laughs> it is literally what we give people for severe allergic reactions. So they're not allergic to epinephrine. <laughs> but, you know, I had one patient who had this very long list of allergies and it was someone who has some recurrent bladder infection issues. And I started asking about some of their allergies. I said, okay, well, why, what was your reaction to this antibiotic? And you know what they told me? What? It didn't work. Oh. And so somebody, I, perhaps well-meaning, had put this in as an allergy. So oh, I took dear. it out. I deleted that from the list of allergies <laughs> because an antibiotic not working or even you thinking that the antibiotic did not work is not an allergy. Yeah. You are not allergic to that antibiotic. That is not why you didn't feel that it worked. <laughs> you can take that again. Yeah. And, and so again, it, well, and then the other one that I understand and we do a bad job of explaining to people when we ask them if they have allergies. Right. So I ask people, are you allergic to any medications? That's the way I, that's the phrase I use. I don't ask okay. them, do you have any allergies? I ask mm -hmm. them, are you allergic to any medications? Mm -hmm. Because I don't really care if you have hay fever <laughs> and especially in surgery, I probably don't care that you have peanuts because I'm not going to give you any. I mean, right. you know, peanut allergies is a severe enough thing that it's good for people to know about. Right. But when I'm thinking about getting somebody ready for say surgery or something, I'm, I'm probably not worrying about that one. Right. Um, but, it, but you definitely see people who have longer lists of allergies in general are going to be much more difficult to take care of. They're going to have yeah. a lot higher level of needs. They're going to 
your standard medication regimens that you may use for whatever, whether it's your anti-nausea meds, it's your pain medications, it's your antibiotics, this sort of thing, they're going to have issues with many of the things that you may choose to use mm -hmm. in there. And so again, it complicates the care. Now there are people who have lots of allergies and I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate thing, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely a thing that when we see that we start to think about, I'm going to have to take care of this person differently. And right. so again, it's a bit of a red flag, not a red flag as in like, they're going to try and pull a fast one on me, but a red flag in terms of, boy, I may not be able to do what I usually do for this situation, for this right. individual. Mm -hmm. So what else? Sure. Anything else you've seen? Oh, man. Usually with like health histories and admission histories and that kind of thing, I'm not the one who has to do those. So usually the nurses have to deal with those. Yeah. So honestly, I can't even think of any other ones. It's mostly just... As soon as I hear anything uptight or super overly demanding, I'm like, oh, red flag, red flag. Yeah. Or when someone is overly complaining about another healthcare worker. Like, if you're advocating for your care or your kid's care, that's great. I, I love that. Like, advocate for yourself. That's great. But when it's the overly demanding someone didn't put the sheet on your bed correctly, that's a bit ridiculous to me. So that's always a red flag. So then I know to tread a bit lightly whenever I deal with those sorts of things. Oh yeah, definitely. Another couple of quick ones that I'll mention, and you kind of, you know, made me think of this when you were talking about medical and, and other history. Mm -hmm. um, in adults, when you tell us how much you drink or smoke, we are probably going to double that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, really. Like if somebody tells me I only smoke four cigarettes a day, then Oof. I'm going to kind of mentally calculate and say they smoke at least eight to ten. Yeah. And if somebody they're says. they're never going to tell you actually what it is. Yeah. And, and, and this sounds like it's a mean judgmental thing. And it's not trying to be people don't understand things like alcohol withdrawal right. out of every medication, every drug, everything out there, alcohol withdrawal is the one that has the highest likelihood of killing you. Oh, absolutely. And I've never seen anything more frightening in my medical career than someone who was going through full on delirium tremens. Yeah. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And so if you tell me, oh, I have a couple beers at night, every night before I go to bed, I'm going to be thinking, mm, you maybe have more than a couple. And so I'm really going to be making sure that I'm watching. If you're still in the hospital two days after, you know, you got admitted and you haven't had to drink alcohol for two days, I need to start watching and saying, okay, is our heart rate going up? Is their blood pressure going up? Are they starting to show any signs of alcohol withdrawal? Because if yeah. they are, we need to get on that. We need to get on it fast so that it doesn't get bad. Right. 
And when we think about, okay, especially in surgery, somebody's like, oh, I smoke four cigarettes a day. I'm going to think, okay, you smoke a half pack at least. Right. And that's important as we start thinking about how are we going to oxygenate this person? How are we going to ventilate this person? And what do we need to do to make sure that at the end of the procedure, we can get them off the ventilator? Mm -hmm. So it really is. It is a safety thing. It is not us in medicine being judgmental. It is us in medicine going, I need to be ready to save your life if what you told me isn't accurate. Right. And so we need to be thinking about that. Absolutely. Uh, Another real quick one, and then I think we can probably wrap it up, and that is the comment, oh, well, if something can go wrong, it will happen to me. Oh. Don't know if you've seen that one yet. uh, No. But I definitely get that where I, I, there's, you know, I have a handful of patients who I've taken care of, and you start talking about the risks of something or the unusual things that can happen, and they're very quick to point out, well, if something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong with me. And again, it's just kind of a red flag because sometimes those are the people who are constantly looking for, you know, maybe everything went perfect, but the pinky toe on their left foot was a little sore when they woke up and they're going to be like, oh, you know, I knew something was going to happen. And it just makes it, it makes it really difficult to know how best to take care of them. And the other big problem is it's very much the story of the boy who cried wolf. Because when you get people who complain about so many things all the time and they have high pain tolerances and everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong to them, you never really can tell when something really serious has happened or not. Right. And so it really makes it more difficult for us to, I feel like, do a good job because, you know, I have some patients who if they call and they they have a complaint, if they call and they're like, hey, I'm having this problem, I know that it's legit and I can be like, great, get them in today. Come in and see me today because if you are calling me and telling me you're in pain or something's going on, then this is serious. Right. And then there's other people who just constantly are calling the office and calling the office and calling the office. And so you never really know what's important and what is not. And Uh they're just things that get in the way of us taking good care of people. And that's the only reason we care about these things is because these can be barriers to us being able to do the very best we can to care for somebody and get them better from whatever is going on. So mm-hmm. agreed anyway, well, it's been so good to chat with you again. It's been a while and I'm glad that yeah. uh, hopefully things will move to part-time for you soon and that'll ease, <laughs> ease life up just a touch, <laughs> just a touch, <laughs> you know, we're getting into my absolute least favorite time of the year, the time of the year I hate mm. more than anything. And, uh, anybody who's, uh, any surgeon who tells you they love Christmas, I think they're liars or they just don't care. <laughs> they're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really from like October to the end of the year, uh, I, I kind of hate it. Um, yeah. just because you have so many people who they're calling and they've met their deductible or maybe they've met their out of pocket max and they want, they have mm-hmm. some elective procedure that, you know, they've been considering and now all of a sudden they're calling and they're like, Hey, I, it's going to be cheaper for me if I do this now. 100% understand that. Totally get <laughs> Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. 
But then they're like, and you know, we've got some travel coming up because the holidays this. So I need you to do this surgery on me tomorrow. And I'm kind of going, um, I am completely booked out three to four weeks because everybody's trying to do the same thing. Everybody's doing the same thing that you're trying to do. (laughs) So days get longer and longer and longer and demands get higher and higher and higher. Uh, and then I feel like I can kind of sort of breathe once January rolls around, but some years the busy just rolls right on through until like February. So we'll see. Well, good luck to (laughs) you. You too. So we'll, our goal will be to be back in another couple of weeks and, uh, you know, maybe Aubrey will start thinking of a, uh, an interlude that we want to do at some point if we uh, get to a point where we just need to talk about something fun and or silly. So indeed. All right. Well, again, we appreciate everybody who's giving us a listen. Uh, We'd love it. If you, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe uh, to the podcast. That'll make sure that as soon as there is something for you to listen to, it'll just show up and you know, they're like magic. It's great. I love opening up my podcast (laughs) player and, there's a few new podcasts ready for me to go. It's just like mm-hmm. a mini little Christmas morning. So just gift. think it could be a little gift that you get roughly every two weeks and you just put a <laughs> smile on your face. So, uh, exactly. you know, if you are enjoying this, please leave us a review on uh, wherever you get your podcasts, but I'm not going to lie. Uh, reviewing and leaving a rating on iTunes probably does more than anywhere else because that's where most podcasts are being served through as yep. uh, Apple servers. So we would love it if you if you could do that. And if you have any specific feedback, we're always welcome to that. The email address is feedback at themiddleofmedicine.com. And we'll go ahead and take that and we'll address it and on air if it's something that's appropriate to address there. And, uh, you know, we can get some people uh, g- get their thoughts here in the pod and share that with everybody else. So... Absolutely. Well, until next time, Aubrey, I hope everything continues to go okay and you can keep your head above water. I know how hard (laughs) school can be. I will try my best. You too. Okay. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.